Hey, I'm JT Lux, and you're listening to Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 342 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. This week we've got a fun one because we've got JT Lux joining us. He's got a lot of great stuff to talk about. His new album that came out in 2021 and a ton of other stuff, so we're going to get to that here in a bit. Before we do that, we've got a concert, a recent concert I saw that I want to tell you about. Got some music to play, some other stuff to talk about, so we're going to jump into that. Here we are in March. One of these years, I've been, I say this every year, this is the week of March 11th when this is coming out. March 11th is in a couple of days. One of these years on March 11th, I'm going to pull off an episode with a member of 311 on that day. But until that day comes, you'll have to wait at least until 2023 to see if we can make that happen. But in the meantime, I need to let you know about sponsors. And that would be, let's kick this off with DB Concerts because they've got a ton of great concerts coming our way if you're in the Oklahoma area. It's a promoter based here in Tulsa, and they've been bringing great music to this area for years now, including stuff like Last in Line, Saxon, Buck Cherry, Steelheart, Winger. Man, what else have they brought in? They brought in Warrant, Great White, Bisto Blanco, Striper, Snoop Dogg and Nelly. A huge long list. And speaking of Snoop Dogg, they're bringing him back. Not once, but twice. March 24th and 25th. Consecutive nights at the BOK Center. Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, and Warren G. That's about as good as it can get when you're talking about 90s rap and hip-hop. Ice Cube's my favorite rapper ever, and I love me some Snoop Dogg and Warren G as well. So check that one out. Hit up BOKCenter.com or DEBConcerts.com for ticket info. Also, in April, at the end of the month, April 30th, the Metal Tour of the Year is coming to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to the BOK Center as well. Megadeth, Lamb of God, and In Flames. Man, that's one hell of a lineup. I caught the Metal Tour of the Year last year in Dallas. Megadeth, Lamb of God, with Trivium and Hatebreed. Fantastic show, so I'm sure this one will be just as great. Same thing. Hit up BOKCenter.com or DEBConcerts.com for ticket info. Finally, August 20th. We've got Poison returning to Tulsa for what I think is the first time since like 91. I know Brett Michaels has been here many times and Poison has played Rocklahoma and Oklahoma City, but I don't think they've been in Tulsa for 30 years. So here we go. This is also at the BOK Center. Poison with Tom Kiefer of Cinderella opening the show. And of course, LA Guns is on that bill as well. So all these shows, hit up DBConcerts.com to get ticket info. We'll bring you more info as it comes on upcoming shows. They've also got the stage at Rocklahoma they book every year, so we'll be talking about that soon enough. MedFarm is a dispensary located in Broken Air, Oklahoma at 24683 East Highway 51. They've got a drive through that is open 24 hours a day. Most dispensaries cannot say that. So call, text, or email ahead, place your order, and then all you got to do is run right through that drive through If you want to browse... No problem. Go inside. Check them out. They've got a big selection. You can see it all online at leafly.com. They're always running specials on our social medias. Facebook is MedFarm, P-H-A-R-M. Instagram is MedFarmOK. Their website is MedFarmOK.com. If you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off their first your first order, which is very cool. But the best part about MedFarm is that 30% of their proceeds at all times go to build no-kill animal shelters. So that's what makes your patronage at, at, at MedFarm more important than any other option you have in this area. So head on over to MedFarm, help out some animals, and of course, help out yourself. We've also got Sunset Tattoo, tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. Your tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. They are mother approved. 25 plus years of experience. You can check out everything on Facebook. Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Instagram is also Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. There's tons of photos on there. You can see all the great work that Jake does over there. All different styles that he does amazingly. I've had work done by Jake about a year ago, and I'm very happy with it. And I know several other people that have as well. 
So give him a call or shoot him a message to set up a time to go in and talk about what work you need to have done. He also accepts walk-ins. So, of course, walk in and see if he's free. If not, set up a time to get in there. Get over there, show him your support, and tell him you heard about him right here on Thunder Underground. All right. Let's talk about some music. This past weekend, this past Saturday night, actually, March 5th, Seven Dust kicked off their Animosity anniversary tour at the Diamond Ballroom in Oklahoma City. I didn't look at how long the tour is, but I think it's a couple months long, and they are playing Animosity in its entirety for the 20th anniversary, which they're now calling the 21st anniversary since it got bumped to this year. But that album, I believe, actually came out towards the end of 2000. So it would still be considered the 20th anniversary, in my opinion. You know, if you're looking at calendar years, not the actual year, you know. But anyway, semantics don't really matter here. The point is, typical Seven Dust form, this is the opening show of a tour. And they go out there and they sound like they've been on the road for four months. Finely tuned, because Seven Dust is undoubtedly one of the best live bands you'll see. I say that every time I speak about them. And I full, I fully believe that, as I've seen them countless times throughout my life now. I was fortunate enough to see them right after they hit the scene, after their debut album came out in 97. I saw them in the summer of 97 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as part of the Roar Tour. It was, a, I believe, a one, I think that only happened one year. It was headlined by Iggy Pop, but Iggy Pop had actually dropped off the tour before it got here. But the, that show also featured like Reverend Horton Heat, Sponge, Bloodhound Gang, the Nixons. It's kind of, you know, pretty much a 90s line. Tonic, I believe Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes was on some dates. So that's about as 90s as you can get. And the, and Seven Dust went on pretty early because they were relatively not well-known band at that point. And it's funny now, if you put that exact same lineup now, I'm pretty sure Seven Dust would be the headliner. So that kind of is a testament to these guys and what they have done over the past 25 years. Their third album came out in 2021. I mean, 2001. Earlier I said 2000. I meant the end of 2001. So here we are 20 years later celebrating it. And whenever they announced this, I was kind of surprised and I thought it was really cool because usually when a band does an album in its entirety for an anniversary or just any other reason. It's generally like, say, their debut album or their biggest, you know, as far as commercial successful album goes. I mean, some bands, you know, will get real deep with it, but it's not that common. And Animosity, you know, was a was a good album. I mean, Animosity is a great album, but I mean, a good album for them commercially. But I don't think it was, as far as I know, as much as the first two, but I could be wrong. I didn't look up the stats on it, but I just know as far as standalone songs, what, you know, what still gets played live or what people bring up when they talk about a band. And so there's, there's a lot of songs in this album that I feel are songs that probably haven't been played in a long ass time. And I know there's some that I've never heard. And Lejean even mentioned during the show that some of these songs haven't been played since that tour for the for the animosity tour which you know in a, in a lot of cases there's got to be a couple of songs i bet that they never played live but you know seven us could be one of those bands that make sure they get all the songs in at some point who knows but i would like to say that i believe i mean i've seen seven dust many many times so it's hard to say you know, and it all kinds of, at, at one, at some point, it's kind of like, it's hard to differentiate from show to show because they are on top of their game. No matter when, when you see them, I've seen them outside in the middle of the freaking heat, sun blazing on them, you know, just a few years ago at a festival. I seen them a couple years ago in a club and you get the same intensity. No matter what's going on, what the surroundings are, whether it's their headline show, whether they're opening for someone whether they're on early evening below two or three bands at a festival, it doesn't matter. 
you're going to get top-of-the-line performance from these five guys. And I think a big testament to that is the fact that you've got the five original guys still in this band 25 years later, which is not a common feat, as most people know. You know, even bands that you might think are all original members probably have a different drummer or bass player that you didn't realize. Their consistency and their greatness, I think, also plays into the fact that they enjoy what they do. Throughout this set, Lejean, you know, he said it early on and he said it a few more times throughout the show, probably because it was their first show of the tour. You know, they're pumped to be back, but he talked a lot about how grateful they were to be able to be playing an album in its entirety 20 years later, as they did with the debut album a few years ago. And he talked about how grateful they were to the fans for sticking with them throughout all those years. And a lot of other things they're grateful for. And that's something that if you go to 10 shows, eight or nine of them, you're going to hear the singer say stuff like that. And sure, you know, I'm sure a lot of them say it, but a lot of them I think might just say it because it's the thing to say to get a crowd pop. I don't know. But with Seven Dust, when Lejean says it with that band, I feel like it's genuine and it's heartfelt and it's meant what he says. Even if you went to every show on a tour and he said similar things in every city, I still believe that it's 100% heartfelt because this is a band that whether it's live or in studio, like I've repeated several times now, is consistent as hell. In studio, they are phenomenal. You know, they've got, what, 10 or 11 albums now, and they are all, there's not an album that is just a throwaway. There's no album, you know, sure, there's albums you like better than others, but this is a band you can, one of those rare bands that you can put their entire catalog on shuffle and not start hitting skip every few songs because they're so consistently great. And for them to be able to pull that off live, amazing to me. And they, at this show, you know, of course, you know the set since the album's played in its entirety. For me, I was super excited, super excited to hear Beautiful Live. That's one of my favorite Seven Dust songs ever. I feel like I heard him do it once before, but it doesn't seem like it's been too common in set lists that I've seen. I was really excited to hear Follow. Also really excited to hear Shine. Just a great, just a great album. And, you know, they ended the, the album. The final track was Angel's Son. And I honestly, I don't think that that was on the original release because that, that, you know, that song came out on straight up the tribute to Lynn Strait of Snot. And then I think it was put on a reissue album, but I, I could be totally wrong. Like straight up probably came out before animosity. And then it came out as a part of animosity, regardless it's there. It went over great live. And that's the other thing that I, I really love how diehard the seven, seven dust fan base is because there was a good crowd at this show. And whenever a band's playing deep tracks, even if you've got a good crowd, you're going to have your select diehards and then you're going to have a lot of people that, you know, mainly know the songs that are on the radio and a few other songs. But they were playing deep cuts and the crowd, there was a huge chunk of this crowd singing along to every chorus of every song, which I thought was, you know, beautiful, pun intended. And then they finished it out with, in the encore, they played Bitch, which I thought was great. You know, full circle. That's the first Seven Dust song I ever heard. I heard it in the middle of the night on the radio here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It blew my mind. I loved it. And I've been a fan ever since. And then they... And I wish I'd wrote it down. Or I could have looked it up, actually. I can't remember what the second song they played in the encore was. And then they finished it with Face to Face like they finish most of their shows, at least that I've been to. Seven Dust knocked it out of the park. It's about an hour and a half. You know, as a fan, you always wish it'd be a little longer. 
they've got a long road ahead of them. You know, I'm sure they'll start increasing here or there, add some more songs. Hopefully they're rotating the encores. That's always, always love when bands do that. But this show was opened by Dead Poet Society and Tetrarch. Unfortunately, I had stuff going on during the day, and the venue's about a two-hour drive from where I was at. I didn't make it in time to see either one of them. I was really looking forward to seeing Tetrarch. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, we've talked about them a lot. Diamond Rowe from Tetrarch was on this podcast last year, talking about the new album. You know, so I was bummed I didn't get to see him. But, however, Jason, who used to be the co-host here on Thunder Underground, did make it in time to see them. So I'm going to tell you what he said about the show, just so we can have a little mini miniature review here of Tetrarch. Okay, Jason sent me kind of what his his thoughts were so I could bring him up here. And, you know, I just wanted to be fully transparent here. Not that I'm not telling you what I thought, but this is probably exactly what I would have thought too, because me and Jason are usually on the same page with bands like this. But as far as Tetrarch goes at the opening night of the Animosity Tour, Jason said, man, they were great. As produced as a lot of their music comes off at times, I really appreciated how organic they came off live. They really had a very awesome command of the stage. And I can see this band getting really big in the next few years based off of what I've just seen from them live and what we've heard from them on album. And that's something that Jason and I talked about whenever Diamond was on the podcast last year was that this band really made a name for themselves throughout the pandemic. You know, they got an album out pre-pandemic and then once the, and then they started really getting played during the pandemic on Sirius and they became kind of a critical sensation. And I think that shifted over into the audience as well from their play on Sirius. And then, so by the time this album came out, it really helped propel them into where they're at now, which is like opening for bands like Seven Dust. I really think that on the path they're on, this is one of those band, this is one of those metal bands that you'll be hearing about, like Jason just said, for years to come. So, Check out that episode with Diamond if you have not. And speaking of Seven Dust, John Connolly was on this podcast quite a while back, and that was a great one. We really enjoyed that. And you never know, maybe we'll have a member of Seven Dust coming again soon. We'll have to wait and see. All right, speaking of what's not coming soon, what's coming right now, and that's JT Lux. Before we get into this interview, I'm going to play some music. Is not from JT Lux, but I'm bringing him up ahead of time because this is from the band that features the man who produced his album. Tesla, who if you've ever listened to this podcast in any length of time, you know is one of my favorite all-time bands. They released their newest single called Cold Blue Steel, and they just released an updated radio remix. I believe it has like you know, some censored words and whatever, but they remixed, uh, Frank Cannon said that they remixed the audio a bit as well to give it a little bit different feel, but Cold Blue Steel is the brand new single from Tesla. Let's check it out. What's to blame? Let's get real. Take a mile, what's the play? What's the play? Let's get 
so bad Evil intentions refuse to respect Pulling the trigger to, to serve and protect What's the blame? What's the blame? Let's get real Let's get real Stop on the edge of when I'm cold blue steel Nobody wins No project Shame is true That ain't no good for me or you There you go, Cold Blue Steel from Tesla. Brand new track. You know, I'm going to be 100% transparent because this is one of my favorite bands. At first listen, I thought, okay, this is all right. This is cool, but it's not, you know, at the top of the level of what I know Tesla can do. But then after listening to it a few more times, it really kind of grew on me. And I really enjoyed what the fact that they, they talk about this, that in their press release for it, that this is the first song they've ever released that they self-produced. The more I listened to it, the more I appreciated that it sounded like the way it sounds. Because the last album, Shock, had a lot of great music on it, but it was produced by Phil Collin. And I've said this on the podcast that I thought it, when he produced it, it sounded a bit too much like Def Leppard. I don't mean that negatively. I mean, I absolutely love Def Leppard and I love Tesla. But, you know, they're two separate bands and I just... I just thought that that influence shined through too much for what I wanted to hear from Tesla. So I'm glad to hear this shift, you know, slightly back. But regardless of that, that's not, that doesn't matter. It's a good song. What do you think? Let us know in the comments. Tes- as far as Tesla goes, Frank Hannon has been on this podcast three separate times. And Brian Wheat from Tesla was also on here early last year. Those episodes, here, let me pull this up. Brian Wheat was on episode 312. Frank Cannon was on episode 183 and 252. And he was also on our Eddie Van Halen tribute episode, which I believe was 292. Check out all those episodes with Frank and Brian. And that's a good segue right into the fact that JT Lux is produced by Frank Cannon. Frank Cannon, over the past couple years, has kind of been on a roll producing a lot of young talent. JT Lux is no different. He's a young artist, got a great three-piece band. Probably should have said this up front, but we're talking about it now, so here we go. This was actually recorded last, I think it was the end of last August. So this is long, long overdue. And if you listen to this podcast at any length, you know last fall there was a gap where I was in and out for the better part of like two or three months. So the podcasts were kind of like sporadic every two or three weeks, and I got kind of behind, like, you know, I had ones that were recorded in August and September from Candlebox and Danko Jones, 
and stuff like that that didn't come out until October, November. And there was a couple others as well, um, in theory. Didn't come out till December. And I had a list of these things, and for some reason, I guess I just didn't write down JT Lux on my list and let it slip. And then this past week, I was digging through my stuff and saw that interview setting there, that file, and I was like, holy shit. So, my apologies to JT Lux, but here we are now. So, it's, you know, great to talk about, and whenever I listen back to this interview with JT Lux, it'll be like a brand new interview to me, because it's been, what, are we going on almost eight months now, I guess, so. Or am I doing my math right? No. Six months, so. Anyway, let's jump into this right now and hear what JT Lux has to say. Taken by Moonlight's been out a couple months now. Are you happy with the response from fans and critics and everybody? Yeah, it's been a great uh, response from people that have never heard us before. You know, I, I uh, started my journey as a singer about a year and a half ago, uh, being a guitar player my entire life. Um, so to transition into singer-songwriter and to work on this record with uh, Frank Cannon and my band was such a such a fun experience uh, to be able to put something out that, you know, we've never done before and, and, and for me to explore new territory. So the response has been great. We've been getting a lot of, a lot of great responses on the music videos and uh, we've been getting a lot of good Spotify numbers. So it's, it's been great. Was that transition to being a singer songwriter using your voice and everything? Was that kind of daunting, you know, to do it so quickly after just starting singing a year and a half ago or? Yeah, it was definitely a challenge because, you know, I grew up on a lot of uh, older bands from the 80s and 90s uh, that, you know, had very high voices. And, and for me, I, growing up, I always had I, I've always had a deep voice. And so I never really thought of myself as a, a singer guy until, um, you know, my producer, Frank Cannon, uh, told me that I need to sing if I want to if I want to be successful. And uh you know, he was right. And so he just started helping me out on easy songs. I started singing Jim Morrison. I started singing Jimi Hendrix. And then uh, as I started exploring my voice, I started expanding my range. And, um, you know, now I'm able to feel comfortable with the songs I'm singing and confident. But the hardest part was uh, doing both at the same time, doing, uh, you know, a different rhythm with the guitar and a different rhythm with the with the vocal and trying to put those together and make it sound smooth. That was the hardest part for me. Was it a an easy transition to playing it like in the live setting? Like if you're used to just playing guitar and then trying to sing as well? Yeah, it was different because um, we didn't play a show for uh, an entire year. We We started the band in March of 2020. And so by the time we wanted to play a gig, everything was shut down. So right. Um, uh, so we spent a whole year just like working on the record and um, and just practicing and, and always getting better. And, my, you know, from March 2020 and on, we just try and get better and work off each other and, and, you know, vocally, because we were all experienced musicians on our on our own instruments. But the vocals added another layer that um, was challenging, but really fun for us because we really wanted to um make the trio sound as as big as possible and and so we were able to do that and 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 the live that we've played you know we got to play in texas and oklahoma we got to play a bunch of cool shows so far this summer and uh you know it's been great but there's nothing like a live show you know that it, having them come back has been such a fun fun thing for us to experience not playing a show for an entire year you know yeah well i guess in a way the live shutdown kind of a blessing in disguise because it gave you more time to focus on writing and getting the album out instead of just rushing it out. And then like you might've done last summer. Yeah, true. That, that was actually, uh, that's a good point because our, our early demos I listen back to now and I'm like, if I would ever put those things out, I would, I would have not been proud of, of them, you know? And so that extra time, you know, everybody was out of work, you know, um, 
nobody was doing anything. So we, we were practicing five days a week um, when we first started. And so that constant getting together and writing was great. And um, uh, Zach is 21 and Ethan is 22. And so, um, and I'm 21 as well. So we're, we're really uh, close in age and those guys are best friends. So when they joined the band, it was, um, it was instant chemistry because they had already had that bond together. So the songwriting uh, was really easy to start because um, it's not like three random guys getting into a room trying to jam with each other. You know, there was that chemistry that was already built there. And, um, you know, they, they came in and, and did exactly what we wanted and, and they've been great. Yeah, it was kind of one of my questions was what Ethan and Zach kind of bring to the to the full body of your band, you know, with you kind of being the voice and the guitar. A lot of times that's where the sound gets focused. But what do those two guys kind of bring to form this trio out and make it what it is? Yeah, um, Ethan in particular um, plays a Rickenbacker bass and his style is very melodic. And, and I really enjoy that type of bass playing because while I'm singing and playing rhythm over that, you can have a sliding melodic bass line that really adds a lot to it. And, and so um, him coming from uh, originally being a guitar player, he, he knows, he knows all the chords and he knows what, what's relative to each other. And so he's really, his ears really good for um, finding the right notes for the right time. He's exactly, he, he reminds me of like, um, uh, you know, what people used to say about Ringo Starr is he would play exactly what was perfect for the song. And that's exactly what Ethan does. Um, and, and for Zach, you know, he, he's got a very Bonham heavy sound. He's very into Led Zeppelin. And so, um, which is great for me as a, as a trio, it, it really fills out the sound when you have a drummer that's really solid. And um, that whole record we did without a, a metronome or a click track because we felt confident in our abilities to... Um, uh, speed up and slow down the songs in a way that um, felt melodic and, um, you know, uh, made the song better in a way, you know. Well, I noticed on the songs on this album, there's all different styles. Like, you know, you got bluesy stuff, you've got the more hard rock stuff, and you've got even some kind of funky stuff going on. Was that a conscious effort to, you know, to have all those different styles, or is that just kind of how you write and just how it comes out? It's a little bit of both. It was, um, uh, I tend to, I, I have a very wide range of influences from all the way back to the 1950s and 60s uh, to, to modern day bands that are coming out the last couple of years. So I've got a really wide range of inspiration. Um, but also on the first record, I tried to make an effort to be diverse because I didn't want the music to be necessarily put into um, a box or put into one category. And um, I wanted to appeal to um, a wide range of audience. And so that, that it was a little bit of both, but um, a lot of those songs just came out naturally. And, and so, um, you know, I think they have a little bit of uh, each song has its own uh, taste, but at the same time, there's a, a similar theme throughout the record that's, that's there that feels raw to me. So I was really proud of the record. Well, how did the connection with Frank Cannon come about? Like, how did that, how did he end up being your producer? Yeah. So um, when I turned 18, um, he offered me a job working on his ranch and um, it was my senior year of high school. What, what is it? Two, two and a half years ago now. And, um, you know, he, he just, you know, had me out working on the ranch and I, uh, in exchange for studio time and he had seen videos of me playing, you know, um, when I was like 15 or 16 and he really enjoyed my playing because it wasn't like shredder or anything. It wasn't like a lot, what a lot of people were doing. I was, I was playing a lot slower and he really enjoyed that um, kind of David Gilmore-esque playing. And so, um, you know, he had, he had been following me for years and I've been a Tesla fan for a long time. My parents uh, are actually in the love song video uh, back in the day, the year they met. So it's kind of oh. funny yeah, that it comes full circle. But, um, you know, he, he started giving me studio time for working on his ranch um, with my previous band. And then when that fell through um, and he started to encourage me to sing, he helped me, um, you know, uh, get this band together and he helped me record the record. And, and I, I'm still exchanging uh, studio time for working on the ranch and stuff. And, and it's it's been great because 
it it, it uh, teaches you a lot and it keeps you humble because you'll you'll play a show in front of 400 people and then the next day you're shoveling horse horse crap so <laughs> i'm sure having an experience of working with someone like that you know that's been in the industry for a long time is invaluable but like what specifically might have you learned from frank in the time you've worked with him in the studio wow that's a good question um probably the biggest thing i've learned is um how much experience he has and what he brings to the table when it comes to songwriting um because when you have a guy that's that's done it he's made five you know platinum records and and he knows what it's like when when he gives you advice you you tend to want to take that advice because uh you know he's really really good at what he does and so um you know he would he would give us advice and and we would just roll with it and he would help make the songs better and and i think the biggest thing i learned from him was to just um go for it no matter what it is a guitar solo singing just be confident in what you do and just try and keep it raw and real and and just um work really hard you know he's he's a really um hard worker and it, and it rubs off on me the more i hang out with him were you using a double neck before you met him or is that a direct influence to him <laughs> uh that's i would say that's definitely a direct influence from him and um alex lifeson from rush i'm a big fan of his guitar playing um the knobs on uh my Epiphone guitar in the Waited So Long video are actually Alex Lifeson's knobs um, wow. from one of his old guitars. Yeah, so I I grew up listening to a lot of Rush, too. I mean, like, uh, one, of, one of the biggest things I learned from listening to them was um, uh, taking a bar chord and then uh, opening the, the, the B and E string, and it, it gives you this super full sound, and, and I always loved... Alex Lifeson was the only guitar player and how it so it always sounded like two guitars. And so, you know, same with Frank, he's able to fill out the sound and, and everything with, with um, the way he plays and everything. And, and yeah, when, when I saw him uh, play with the double neck, when I was like eight or nine years old, it, it changed my life. So. Well, talking about all the, the music you've mentioned, you know, and you've said your, your influences, you sound kind of like an old soul for being someone that's your age does the influence of that music come from your parents and what they were into when you were young? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was growing up, like um, CDs, CDs were starting to become like um, old news, I guess, or obsolete. Um, like about when I was like in second or third grade is like when everything started becoming like on the iPod. But I do remember before that all the CDs that my parents would have in the car and me just always looking through them and, and always being fascinated by the artwork, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I just definitely say my parents played a big influence on my music. Taste, you know, my dad took me to my first uh, concert when I was nine years old. He took me to Queensryche and wow. uh, I was on his shoulders for three hours straight. And it was, it was pretty awesome. And I got a drumstick from uh, that night. And so, you know, I, when I was like, when I was like nine years old, there's before I played guitar, I wanted to be a drummer. And so, but I'm, I'm sure my parents appreciated me not becoming a drummer because being a guitar player is a lot quieter for the most part. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can put the headphones on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we kind of mentioned a little bit being a new artist that basically, like you said, you formed when the pandemic started. Like how, what was it like kind of navigating through this past year and a half, trying to be a new artist and get your music out there whenever everybody's doing everything online because they're not out promoting it live was that a kind of a tough process to go through or did you just kind of look at it as the way things were because that's the way it was for you honestly yeah i kind of looked at it like that because i had never been in this position before fronting a band and singing and stuff um so this is pretty much that was pretty much all i knew you know i just knew that we just needed to keep our heads down and keep working hard and that um we're going to get through it together and, and just, you know, there's always room for improvement. And so, you know, I wasn't ready to release a record a year ago. I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready to go out and play shows a year ago. You know, I was excited and eager, but honestly, the whole year, it was like, um, you hear a lot of bands in the beginning that um, they, they just work on the record. They don't play shows for like an entire year and that, and their management keeps them, just practicing and always getting better you know and, and in, in a way it really helped us because we were able to um focus on songwriting rather than you know um 
which it, it's great to go out and play gigs. We might have gone out and played a bunch of cover gigs, which, you know, in a way would have been cool. But at the same time, like learning that songwriting is the most important thing. Like we sp- we tried to spend our time very wisely. And, and when you don't have anything else but to do songwriting, it, it kind of it, it makes you um, hyper focus on it. And, and it I think it accelerated me into uh, becoming a, a better artist uh, faster what what's your songwriting process like is it is it mainly you or do you have zach and ethan involved in it as well or is it a group effort um it's different a lot of the times but um a lot of the times it'll it'll start with like just an acoustic riff um i I try to try to write a lot of it just um the main ideas on an acoustic by myself um and then what i'll do is i'll bring that idea into the band room and we'll uh, jam it out. And that's kind of where the energy and the, and the rock and roll kind of comes in is when the band, it, the band gets there. But you, a lot of the times I'll have a foundation so that when we go into the band room together, we're not just like kind of guessing or just like jamming. Um, we love jamming, but at the same time, when we're trying, when we have a goal for a song to be complete, um, if we have like a good foundation for it um, and then uh, is Zach and Ethan will come in and, and do what they do best. And, and it, it becomes, it becomes uh, what you hear on the record and, and it becomes live. And it fe- it's, that's, that's where all the feeling comes from is when we jam it in the live room. Well, the past few years have seen, you know, kind of an influx in your traditional kind of rock bands like, <clears throat> excuse me, Dirty Honey and Rival Sons and Tyler Bryant, Joyous Wolf, so on. Do you see you guys yeah. kind of fitting right into that? you know, with, with all those bands or is that something that you worry about or think about it? But I mean, I, cause I kind of feel like you guys kind of fit right into that whole scene that's going on right now. Yeah. When I, when I mentioned earlier about um, being inspired by modern bands, uh, you mentioned a couple like dirty honey and Tyler Bryant. I love that. I love his guitar playing. I, I love the energy that his band brings. Another guy is uh, Jared James Nichols. Yeah. Uh, great guitar player blues guy and uh nick perry he's out of philadelphia i believe um and he's another guitar player really killer guy who's been touring and so i've been looking up to these guys because um i tend to uh relate a lot more to people that um start on an instrument and then add, add singing on because um that's exactly what i did so when i look i look up to those people that that can uh do what i'm doing and be successful at it, it gives me confidence that we'll be able to achieve what we want to do. Now that things are opening back up and hopefully staying that way, you know, looking forward to the rest of this year and into 2022, what are you hoping that you guys do? Like, are you looking for touring or just getting out there and doing spot gigs for the time being or how, you know, what are your guys' plans? Yeah. So we, um, we were lucky, we're lucky enough to, um, you know, have management now and have, um, an investor that, that is very, very nice to us. And so we're looking um, by 2022 to be on the road with some of these bands out there, you know, paying our dues, getting out there, getting, getting in front of new audiences. Um, and, uh, you know, we're from Northern California. We're, we're planning to branch out um, at the beginning of 2022. Um, but at, for the rest of this year, we're just working on the local scene and building a, a big following here, working on some more music videos um, and working on the next record, always writing, getting together and just, um, you know, uh, right now, a lot of things are still getting canceled. Um, we had a, we've had a lot of shows get canned uh, because of due, still due to the pandemic. But, um, you know, we're confident that by 2022, we'll be able to get out there and start rocking. I always try to stay away from asking about, band names or song titles or because i feel it's kind of cliche but i really like the album and song title taken by moonlight like what does that mean to you that that phrase yeah so um the night i wrote that song i was like sitting um outside just with an acoustic guitar and i just felt like it was a full moon and the the moon i the moonlight was so bright it was almost it was almost like um a movie you know and i felt like that, that phrase just kind of popped into my head. And then um, the rest of the song kind of came through a dream that I had of um, this, this big lake and, and the reflection of a woman's face. Um, she's facing away from me, but I, I could never see her face except through the reflection. And so 
um, combining those two aspects, um, I just kind of came up with that idea and those, those words popped into my head and, and, um, it was almost like someone just like sent, sent it, you know, like texted those words into my, into my brain and hit send and they just kind of popped up and it's really weird how it works like that. And, and that song is cool because that song almost didn't make it on the record. Uh, we like reworked it like a month before it came out, the record came out and, um, because we had been writing so much throughout the pandemic, that was one of the like first 10 songs that we had written. We probably written about 40 songs. And so to sift through them, it, it took a, a while. And we came back to that and we we're like, why, are we, why did we not plan having this one on the record? And so we just kind of reworked it. And um, I'm so glad it made it on the record. And we felt it was a fitting title for the album because, um, you know, every time I showed the, the, the songs, people tend to latch onto that one and um we thought the title was fitting for the vibe of the music as well yeah it's funny to think if that song didn't make the album and that's the album title as well now too you know <laughs> yeah the original album title was going to be called uh, bed of roses which is another song off the record but i thought that taken by moonlight was um more strong and and more of a unique um title so right well you mentioned writing the next album is that i mean that's something you guys already have plans for into this next year yeah we've got a couple we've got a batch of like another 20 songs that will whittle down to about 15 that'll get whittled down to about 10 so um the more we write um i feel like the more we're um kind of gaining our identity and and working on um creating our, our own sound and so um you know, we still practice four to five times a week. And so, um, you know, we're always in a room together and, and that uh, chemistry, I think, is really uh, building up greatly. And, and you know, we got the opportunity to um, be Frank Cannon's backup band in a couple different shows. And to, to play with that guy on stage is, is something else. I mean, it's, um, you know, we get up, we, we were able to do our 45 minute set and then he would headline the show. And so, um, you know, we felt like our, our set was really good, but the second he gets onto the stage, it's like his experience of 40 years playing music kicks in and you can feel it. And so, um, you know, he, he's just like a totally different beast when it comes to that and, and the way that he's able to command the stage, you know, we're learning how to do that right now from him. And he's been really guiding us through this past year and a half. And I'm guessing on your next batch of songs, you're going to work with him again. Is that the plan? Yes, sir. That's the plan. And, uh, we're, you know, he's been really good to us and, and helped us through. And, um, and he's been, you know, like I said, he offered us to work on his ranch for studio time, which is, uh, considering we're a bunch of young guys that are really broke. It's, it's really nice to have someone to, to, you know, do something like that for us. So, um, and, and he, he's a really down to earth guy. He's looking out for our best interest. Um, he's not trying to screw us over. And so that's really important because a lot of people aren't like that in the music business. Right on, man. Well, I really love this album. Looking forward to what you guys have coming in the future. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah. Thanks, man. And if your audience wants to check, uh, check us out more, you can go to uh, jtlux.com. Uh, that's jtlux.com. Or you can check us out on Spotify. We got, we got the whole album on there and then Instagram as well. JTLux. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank right. you, man. There you go. JT Lux. He has a great album out that you heard us talk about there. Came out last summer. As we talked about there, this album has a lot of different styles on it. I mean, all rock, but it's got some funk, funky stuff, some, some rock stuff, some bluesy stuff, all kinds of stuff, which is a testament to this guy's talent, this guy's influences, this guy's diversity. And it's probably a testament to Frank Cannon, you know, helping bring that out of him when it comes to the production and whatever influence he had with the writing as well. Very glad to have JT Lux on here. A huge thank you to Jody Best at Best Bet Promotions for setting that one up. And of course, a huge thank you to JT for taking some time out there to talk to me about what he's got going on. So once again, if you're a first time listener, and you like some JT Lux or you're listening because you're a Frank Cannon fan and you're like a lot of the bands that he's produced, 
Check out those episodes with Frank that I talked about earlier. He's been on three different times. Brian Weed of Tesla's also been on here. Some other bands that Frank has produced, like Austin Moe, Red Voodoo, have both been on here. Man, we've had, just recently, I had on Jeff Tate, the original vocalist of Queensryche. We've also had on Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister this past year. We've had on Rock and Roll Hall of Famers like Gene Simmons of Kiss, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio, Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple, Black Country Communion, The Dead Daisies. One of the finest voices in the history of rock and roll right there. We've also had on members of, like I said, Candlebox, Danko Jones, Helmet. We can get heavy. We've had on members of Clutch, Hatebreed, Crozier and Conformity, Typo Negative, Testament, Megadeth, The Black Dahlia Murder. Man, the list is super long. So just check out all this stuff we've got throughout the years. You can see everything at the theethonunderground.com is the website. You can listen there. You can find all the socials. So follow us, like us, hit us up. Wherever you see our name pop up, if you, wherever you're listening right now, be sure you like or subscribe to that so you don't miss forthcoming episodes. Speaking of future episodes, man, I like I always say, I don't like to talk about interviews before they've been recorded. I feel like it's a jinx sometimes, so I'm not going to say it. But this coming Friday, I've got four interviews scheduled to be recorded. So next week, you'll hear one of those and you'll hear what the other three are. Or if you follow our socials, you'll find out sooner than that. So there you go. All right. Once again, a huge thank you to JT Lux, Best Bet Promotions, MedFarm, Sunset Tattoo, and DB Concerts. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.